message today is to stay the course. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. I want you to understand that not only were we created in the image of God, but it was God who created us in his image. That might seem like I'm saying the same thing, but let me share this point. God is the one who created us in his image. We were created in we were created in God's image, and then guess what? We messed up. We're good at doing that. It meaning it means that our flesh went a different way from our spirit. Our spirit seeks to be one with God and to glorify God. That's why we were created. But our flesh seeks to be one with itself and to glorify self. After God created mankind, Adam and Eve chose to follow their flesh instead of their God, thus initiating the separation. A lot of times in Bibles they have little headings. Those headings were not there when they wrote the Bible. Those were what people added. So a lot of times the heading above the part where Adam and Eve sins, a lot of times it says the fall of man. It wasn't the fall of man that created the separation, but rather the rise of man to try to be like God. But only God can make us in his image. When we try to make us ourselves in God's image, we go further apart because we start to feed our flesh. It's an ascent that we can't make on our own to become like God, or, or, or to become one with God. Adam and Eve's default of God's blessings had severe, severe consequences for all of mankind. Now, after that separation, as they start to pursue their flesh, Sin would reign over our mortal bodies. We would be divided, distraught, lost like sheep, vulnerable, and in need of a shepherd. You can see how this all set us up for Jesus, which is all part of God's plan. See, God had a plan to bring us back to him so that in his image we too would be one like he is. And so I, I talked about being one because if you saw that first verse there, God said, let us make man in our image. The Trinity was existed from the beginning of, of time. It wasn't just when Jesus came to earth that Jesus first came on the scene, or when the, uh, Jesus went into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit came on the scene. The Trinity was all there. That's why God didn't say, let me make, God, let, make people in our image. He said, let us, which means the Trinity, let us make man in our image. But the, the thing about the Trinity is they are one. Sometimes it's hard for us to understand in our finite mind, but the Trinity is one. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. The Lord is one because three expressions of his divinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all work together as one. They have different functions, but they all work together as one. So God asks us to bring all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our strength together as well. The reason why we're so tired all the time, if you ask people, how are you doing? I'm just tired. The reason why we're so tired all the time is because there's a constant struggle within ourselves, struggling against sin, struggling and fighting against temptation. It's all around all the time. 
In fact, Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, shares the same struggle, that the, the, this constant struggle that we all go through, that the struggle within ourselves. Romans 7.22, he says, For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. In other words, he's saying that the spirit of a believer loves God and his word. The spirit in us loves God and is trying to get closer to God and spending time in his word. But Romans 7.23, he says, But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Listen, there's a war going on inside all of us. Our flesh loves to feed itself with sin and rebellion and running full bore into temptation and lust and gossip and complaint. You name it, that's what feeds our flesh. It's no, over, it's no exaggeration to describe this inner conflict as a war. When two opposing forces are active with no sign of quitting, active in opposing one another with no sign of quitting, then we see this, this war that takes place. The enemy is dead set on bringing destruction, and when we grow tired of fighting, that's when he really ramps up the attacks. You know, when you're tired at the end of the day, and that's when the enemy turns up the attack. That's when you're even more tempted to watch that show late at night or to get that, that discussion or to think about those thoughts or to dwell on negativity and complaints. That's when the enemy really feeds you is when you're tired and you lower your defenses. And we all know that if you've been living the Christian life, it's not easy because there's a war that goes on within us. The Bible says that so. So what are we to do? Well, Romans 7.25, as we read these in context, says, I thank God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh, I serve the law of sin. So because we have this sinful nature, I can keep beating myself up and shaming myself. Why do I keep doing that? Or I can say, I'm going to choose to love God. And sometimes I'm going to follow along. And when I do, because I love God, I'm going to come to Him and repent and ask for forgiveness and ask for His strength to build me up. But I'm not just going to keep beating myself down when I make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Amen? But that's why God gives us grace, right? He gives us grace because he knows you're going to make mistakes. But we need to acknowledge it as a mistake, not just say, hey, I can do whatever I want. We still need to know by conviction that we're, we're off, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. But then we need to come back to God if we truly serve the Lord with our mind. We need to admit, first of all, that we're powerless and turn the battle over to God. If we're trying to defeat sin and temptation and the our flesh, and in our own strength, it's useless. We're just going to get tired eventually. We're going to lose and get burnt out. So why Jesus says, with men, these things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So why do we thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord? Simply put, the very fact that we are warring, that we are having this war, fighting back and forth, the very fact of that means that we are alive to God. If we were not alive to God, there would be no fight. We would just give in and we would just follow our flesh into the world, which a lot of people do. But the fact that we are struggling and warring and feeling tired all the time means that we are alive to God. It's not just the people who it looks like they have everything in line that they're doing great. The fact that you're warring means the enemy wants to take something away from you that God has given you. So don't beat yourself down. Know that God's in control, but we still need to come to him and submit to him. It means that we are open to His Spirit. It means that we have subjected ourselves to the process of change. 
Change is not easy. Your body does not want to change. And so as you submit to God, as God begins a process of making you become more like him, you're saying, God, I want you to change me. Guess what? Your flesh is saying, not me. I don't want to change. I want to fight just as hard to go that way. That's why there's this war that goes on. Change is never easy. But one thing we can be assured of. Philippians 1, verse 6. says, we can be confident of this one very important thing. That he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God's process is to complete us whereby we become like Jesus. But this takes a concerted effort. It takes a solemn process that we need to be dedicated to. And I'm going to tell you what, you cannot do it on your own. I know people that say, I can just follow God on my own. I don't need a church. I can follow God on my own. I'm going to tell you what, the best of us are attacked and fall all the time. We need each other. That's why God talks about us being a family, that we need a family to come alongside of one another and encourage us when times get tough. It takes a commitment on our part to be submitted to change. And I'm going to tell you what, there's no shortcuts to change. Let me tell you this interesting true story. In 1980, a young lady entered the Boston Marathon. She started the race looking great. And as the runners approached the finish line, she was leading the pack by a country mile, breaking all kinds of records. The crowd applauded as she crossed the finish line and she was crowned the champion. It was a little suspicious, however, that the woman had never run a marathon in her life before. How could she possibly win the Boston Marathon, especially by a country mile? Well, lo and behold, when they examined the situation, they discovered that the girl started the race, but then left the race and got on the subway. She rode the subway for 16 miles. She got off the subway, got back on the route, and crossed the finish line first. When her cheating was discovered, she was, of course, disqualified from the race. In real life, there are no shortcuts with God. And like it or not, the road to victory goes directly through the large and sprawling metropolis called Trial City. Anybody been there before? Anybody there right now? It's part, it's part of what God does. There's no shortcuts to get where God wants us to be. Remember, to become more like Jesus, Jesus had to go to the cross to be perfected. And he's on the cross, he said, it is finished. Perfected. We all have a cross to bear. We all have a trial to go through. And that, that's what perfects us if we learn to submit to God and to submit to change. If we're going to allow God to change us so that we can stand victorious one day, it takes a huge commitment on our part. And we can say it with lip service, but are you really, really willing to follow it with your life? Are you willing to change and to do things that your flesh doesn't want to do in order to become one with God? It takes a choice of ours to be willing to be set apart so that he can change us. This is called sanctification. Sanctification means God is going to set you apart from the world so that you can become more like him. The way that God brings about this sanctification process is through a wide variety of trials and tribulation. As we draw closer to God through difficult trials, our spirit becomes one with him, while our fleshly desires are left to starve to death. But our flesh doesn't go easily because our flesh or our fleshly desires, it doesn't like to die. Peter talks about this process in his first letter. 1 Peter 1, verse 1. 
Let me share some scriptures in context. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. See, Paul, Peter is writing this letter to the pilgrims of the dispersion, which means the people who have been separated from their native home and dispersed across the earth. In a larger sense, we know that the Jews were dispersed and sent across the globe when persecution came. The Jews were sent all across the globe. But starting in 1948, they began returning home in a movement known as Zionism. Why is this significant? It's more than just what God is doing in Israel. Not, not just more than just God bringing people back to Israel. The whole idea is a, is a prophecy about us as well. It's what God is doing in us as we submit to the process of sanctification. He brings us back home to where we are one with His Spirit. From that beginning division in the Garden of Eden, God's saying, I want you to come back home and be one with me in spirit. The reason why many people don't understand the Zionist movement back to their homeland is that they fail to see the connection of this process to us. Revelation 21, verse 2. John is speaking prophetically, and he says, Then I, I John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. This new Jerusalem is a picture of all of his saints, the believers whom he gives us the right to call, be called children of God. That's a picture of all of us, the redeemed believers of Jesus who have crucified our fleshly desires, and now by the grace of God we can live forever in the presence of the Lord. It's all of us coming together. Remember, Jesus is coming back one day, and when he's coming back it says he's coming back for his bride. The bride is the body of Christ. And it says the bride has adorned herself or made herself ready for his coming. So as we come together, get back to that oneness that God created us in, then we are making ourselves ready for his return. Revelations 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he, he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. God is with us. Emmanuel. This is what God does through the indwelling of the presence of the Holy Spirit in all, all of us as believers. When we turn from our sins. When we repent and invite Him to live in our hearts. He tabernacles with us. That means He makes His dwelling within us. He looks down the whole block He says, I want to live right there. Now, many of us look for curb appeal. And I say, I would never live in that house because of what's around it. God sees us. Think about his love. He sees us. He knows the sins that we do. And when he says, I want to live there. I want to live inside of you. Tell me that that's not love. We know how much we walk in shame and guilt about our lives. And God says, I'm going to choose to live right there in that heart. I've called that heart. That heart has responded. That heart has come to me. That heart says, I trust you, God, to change me, to make me more like you than I am like myself. And God says, I don't want to just invite that person. I want to live inside of that part, person through the power of the Holy Spirit and his presence so that we can become one with God. This is the new Jerusalem, a picture of our future. It is the culmination of our spirits becoming one with the Spirit of God. This is why we submit to the process of change as instituted by God so that we can enter this for eternity. Now, God knows it's not easy. He knows we're going to mess up, but that's why he gives us grace. 
When you mess up, when you trust God, God will keep wooing you and bringing you and empowering you to become close to him. Verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. I don't think we can really understand that. We all long for it, but I don't know if we can really imagine a time where none of that exists. Can you even imagine no more tears? Can you imagine no more death? No more sorrow? No more crying? No more pain? No more fleshly desires tempting us at every turn? The old things will have completely passed away. Behold, all things will be made new. For anyone who has daily struggles with pain, with sorrow, with depression, or sickness, or wearisome struggles of temptation, this is home, our home at last. That's what we're to talk about. But it takes a change on our parts to love God and to believe God that He's just truly trying to bring us home if we trust Him. Back to Peter's letter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. To those of the dispersion, you are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit. For obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Peter begins by stating that the sanctification is what allows us to be obedient to God in all that he asks of us. Therefore, as we submit to this process, it's no small thing that Peter prays for grace and for peace be multiplied to us because we need it daily. It's not like I messed up in the first morning before I even served breakfast and I ran out of my grace for the day. Then I got to struggle on my own all day. Understand these are not just words that are a common greeting. He's saying grace and peace be multiplied to you each and every day because we need it. If we're going to be changed into the likeness of God. God does the work in us and through us, but only as long as we stay submitted to him. Only as long as we stay in the fiery trials. So our desires can be burned away. For it is grace that allows us to stand in those trials when the heat really gets turned up. And it is the peace of God which reminds us of his faithfulness, that he will bring us through. Jesus didn't just look to the cross. He looked through the cross. Many times as believers, we look at the times of David, look how bad they are without missing the fact that the new Jerusalem is going to come out of heaven and Jesus is returning for us. We need to look beyond that because Jesus is with us all the way through. He is faithful to bring us through. In fact, if you've been looking for a power verse to sustain you through your current trial, you need to add this one to your memory. Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2. A personal verse of power to stand on. Fear not. I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Listen, God doesn't just tell us not to fear. He tells us that he calls you by name. Stating that he knows each of us individually. And therefore, he knows exactly what each of us 
are facing. He knows what each of us struggle against, and He knows what each of us is going through at any time. But He doesn't stop there. He says that we are His. We belong to Him. And He protects everything that He has. He is with us, and He will be with us through every trial. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. His mercy has given us the opportunity to be born again by the Spirit, not by the flesh that leads us astray, but by the Spirit that seeks to be one with God, so that we can be forgiven, so we're not walking in shame and guilt. So that we can be redeemed, which means we were, we were bought back at a price at the cross. So that we can be regenerated, our spirit is regenerated to begin be working towards God. And so that we are restored not only for this life, but for the guarantee of life eternal with God. Next verse. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Read this again. We are kept not by our own strivings, not by our strengths, not by our whatever. We're kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. Our job is to repent from our sins. Our job is to turn to Jesus and accept Him by faith. God's job is to keep us... For salvation by His power. God's the one that keeps us. We just need to continue to submit to Him. In other words, we need to keep our faith fires burning by staying in the Word and continuing to pray to God. And He will keep us. He will see us through because we belong to Him. He will pick us up when we've fallen. He's picked me up a million times and I'm hoping His grace continues to do that as well, as His Word says. Because I know I fall all the time. But God says, I'll pick you up when you fall. He will lead us and bring us and pull us through every challenge that we face. We just have to keep trusting Him. Is it easy? No. But we have a whole family surrounding us to encourage us to continue on that same path. In God's recipe for success, He has a few common ingredients that are essential to each, each of our designs as we become more like Him. First Peter verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. Now, though, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. We need to understand that going through various trials is not some unfair hand that God dealt to us. It's really his way of saying this. Now, listen, it's really God's way of saying, I love you. And I want to make you more like me so that sin will have no power over you. God uses the trials of life to set us apart regenerating our spirit so that we can become one with Him. When we come to Jesus, we give Him our heart. We say, here's the throne, God. Sit on the throne of my heart. And then as we give Him our heart, you know what God does? He begins to operate. As long as we don't resist or complain or we leave the operating table until He's done, the surgery will be complete. God will be faithful to sanctify us completely, but we need to stay the course. The problem is that many times we leave the operating table before he's done with us. 
And as ridiculous as that sounds in real life, that's what we do. We leave a trial without learning what God wants us to learn in the process. Every time we complain or doubt what God is doing in us during one of life's trials, we're like that child game called Operation. You remember that game? When we move and cause the surgery to be less exact, our nose lights up and we get buzzed. Right? Sanctification is a process of precision. And it takes us submitting to God's care and His perfect will for our lives. Every time we complain during one of life's trials and we let our flesh speak louder than our spirit, we make it more difficult for God to operate without setting off the buzzer. So God has to start all over again. We are people. We move. That's why Jesus took the way, took the way of the world upon Himself. Because God could crush the sin on top of him and Jesus wouldn't move. He wouldn't complain. He wouldn't leave the cross. He wouldn't do that. He is the only one that could do that. If it was any one of us, we would have complained. We would have fought back. We would have went on Facebook and said how unfair it is. We would have do all these things to resist God and we would have moved. But Jesus could not move because he is our rock. So every time we move, if we want to become more like him, we make the, the operation more difficult for us. God doesn't give us trials because we deserve them. He doesn't keep us from trials because we've been good. He allows the trials in our lives, especially the really unfair ones, because he wants to teach us something. He wants to equip us with more faith. How do you get more faith? You go through trials trusting God. He wants to make us more dependent upon him with more trust which will hopefully turn into immediate obedience on our part for every challenge in the future. Imagine walking through a minefield, blindfolded, and knowing that your field captain is the only one who knows where the mines are. Complaining about how unfair it is and the mess that you're in does not help you a bit. Only by paying more attention to the captain's voice than your voices of fear and complaints Only by listening to his voice will get you to safety. In your current trial, God is training you to trust him, to pay more attention to his voice so that he can lead you out. If we're going to complain, you can complain, but complain to God. God created you. He's big enough to handle your weaknesses. Don't complain to the world. The world's trying to pull flesh out of you so it can live and they can lead you off straight. God can handle the weakness of your flesh. But others are sometimes drawn into offense with you when you complain with them. At times, other people, as they commiserate with us, can actually hinder our progress if they try to protect us from trials that God allows in our lives. One way to avoid this pitfall is to find someone who's committed to listening to you. So all of us have time. We come home after a long day or an unfair event and just want to vent to somebody. Okay? Now, if, if that's you and you have, feel the need to vent, what we need to do first, we need to find someone who's committed to say, okay, I'll listen to the event, but when we're done, I'm going to take everything you shared and we're going to take it to prayer when we're done. If you vented about this person when we're done, I'm going to pray that God's going to touch that person. I'm going to pray that God's going to touch your heart. So you know going into that venting time that you're going to vent, but when you're done, it's always going to end in prayer. It's never, going to, it's never going to end with how bad that person is or how bad the situation is or how unfair it is. And so as you know, as you do that and you begin to realize it's always going to end in prayer, you're going to be less willing to vent so much before. And your God's going to give you greater self-control because really 
we should be going to God. And if we get it out, as Christian brothers and sisters, we should not let each other vent without going to God. We need to go to God and say, God, help us forgive this person. Bless this person. Give this person a, a, a greater revelation of who you are. Change me in the process so I don't become bitter. That's how it all should be as brothers and sisters who are working to become one. Like them or not, trials are part of the sanctification process which causes us to become more like Jesus as long as we trust his hand in the process and stay the course. Sometimes God uses trials to sanctify his people and sometimes God uses good favor or success for a, different, for a part of your season to sanctify you. Sometimes we can get too content and lackadaisical in a season of success. And therefore, a season of good fortune can be a trial all of its own. If we don't stay humble and remain dependent upon God through it all, we can get off course even when we think that we're not going through a trial. In fact, this is one of the things that causes us to buck our unfair trials. When we see someone else experiencing favor or enjoying success that we think that they don't deserve. Yet when we are tempted to feel or react that way, we must remember that God is the one who designs the seasons through which we all walk. He knows what each of us needs to grow closer to him, to be fully sanctified. Like a master physician, God prescribes something different for each purpose based on our individual needs and our histories and our profiles and our backgrounds and our personal makeup. God is the one that allows us to walk through these things in life. Of course, some pills are hard to swallow, and some slip right down. Some medicine tastes horrible, and some medicine actually tastes pretty good. Either way, we need to trust God, that God knows what he's doing in the big picture, even if it doesn't make sense in our little snapshots of our minds. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called, according to his purpose. We trust God through the seasons of favor, and we trust God through the seasons of trials, knowing that we are called according to his purpose. And whether we readily admit it or not, all of us long to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Through Christ, we are part of his body, his kingdom, his enduring purpose. Therefore, we are grieved by various trials. The part that's grieved is our flesh because it doesn't want to change. We don't realize it, but our spirit enjoys spending time to get closer to God. 1 Peter 1.7 That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found a praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When we have been tested by fiery trials and the impurities in our life are purged out of us, we will be found to give praise and honor and glory to God. Our cries of help into God will be transformed into praises of our King. When we have persevered through our trials and God completes the work in us that he's faithful to do, we will be like the psalmist who declares this promise. Psalm 30, verse 1 and 2. You have turned... For me, my mourning into dancing. That's a promise from God. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silenced. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you 
forever. Trials are a necessary part of sanctification process because they turn our doubts into faith. Our confusion is turned into clarity. Our cries are turned into praises. And our struggles into an assurance that God is always with us now and forever. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Listen, one day soon, the trials will end. There will be no war in ourselves. The struggles will stop, and we will receive the end of our faith, which is our salvation. Knowing that this promise is closed and weighed against the background of eternity, we are given this final charge. Don't lose hope now. Don't give up now. God gives us a final charge to run through the finish line. Verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Your spirit continually wants you to seek after God. Even though that pole is there, that pull towards your flesh is not of God. We need to continue to seek holiness. Don't give up. Rest your hope fully on His grace. Be obedient to God and not to your fleshly lusts. He has called each of us to be holy. Pursue Him. For at this very moment, God is pursuing you. Verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth of the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren... Love one another fervently with a pure heart. As we obey Him, God purifies our souls. What keeps the momentum going forward is our love for our brothers and sisters in the faith. Our love for others with a pure heart, not bound with any other false motivation, but only to obey God and to further His kingdom. Last verse, verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible, but incorruptible through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Listen, as you are faithful to spend time with God and to get into his word and to allow his word to get into every nook and cranny of your heart and your soul and mind so that you can love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you will actually accelerate through your trials as he sanctifies you completely and you truly become one with him. We just need to know when we go through rough seas, that we have an anchor in God. If we trust Him, He keeps us stable. He keeps us going forward. He keeps us from being blown and tossed about. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the power of Your Word. We thank You, Lord God, that even as they've sung right now, God, going through life Himself and going through difficult challenges, it's such a powerful testament to know it's true. Just like it's a powerful testament to know that Jesus didn't promise all this and just avoid the cross. Jesus has been through the trials. He's been through the cross. And he stands now welcoming us home. Lord God, we put our faith and trust in you. We thank you that our anchor holds despite the storm. Lead us home. Help us to stay the course. We love you, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.